0: So, this series is called, I Love the Father. Six weeks about the fatherhood of God. I'm not sure if that's something you would naturally say. I love the father. I don't don't actually know uh, if all of you uh, see God as father. Uh, I don't know if you relate to him in that way. And um, if we were to, from a human perspective speak about our human fathers, then I think there would be a wide variety of descriptions of what a father was like, ranging from, I never knew my father, that's quite common actually, Uh, I knew him a bit, Uh, some might say I was abandoned, Uh, some might say I was loved and cared for, and there's a whole lot of places in between, that's the reality of fatherhood, true? And so what that can do when we talk about God as Father, that can cause some confusion in our minds and we can be mixed up. So I want to say this as my first point, which we'll probably make every week, and you've got to get this in the back of your head. Human fathers are are only like God in a small way. Actually, they're really nothing like God. But God is the perfect father. So we can't look at human fathers and project that up onto God. He's not like that. Okay? He is the perfect father. Now, in some churches, uh, probably what you'd say more liberal churches, they would say it's wrong to call God father, even abusive, because people have had bad fathers and you bring back bad memories and things like that. And um, I just want to share one uh, story. And that was many years ago. It would be 20 years ago. We had a youth group in Adelaide. And we had a girl there. Uh, Elise was her name. She was abandoned by uh, her father. I think when she was one, her father was now probably walked out, left them, her and her mum. So she was brought up by her mum. And she went to a Christian camp and we, we went to join them for that one night of that camp. And the subject was... God is your father. And I thought, gee, I wonder how Elise is going with that. You know, that could be painful or uh, uh, I don't really know. And afterwards I talked to her and she was so excited. She said, you know, I had no father. My father was terrible and now I know I've got a father and not like him, I've got the perfect father. And she was so excited about that. I want to say this, if we can drop our thoughts of human fatherhood and look to God's fatherhood, we will find something very, very rich, uh, completely life-changing for us. I'm going to make four points today. To know the Father is at the centre of our needs. That's point one. Secondly, we have a problem about human fatherhood. I'm going to talk about that for a while. Secondly, Jesus restores us to Abba Father might sound a bit confusing. Hopefully we can understand that. And finally, a point at the end, true rest comes by knowing the Father. Okay, The point one is this, to know the Father is at the centre of our needs. When we know God is our Father, we actually know where we are and who we are and where we belong in this world. Some people say, and there's definitely a truth to it, we have a a God-shaped hole in our heart or something like that. And, and and I would say this, we actually have a Father-shaped hole that needs to be filled. You see, we we need God, but you see, if we have an impersonal God or a powerful God, we actually need something more. We need a Father God because, you see, actually... We, we will never be fulfilled if we get attached to a power source. Wow, you've got power. We won't be even fulfilled if someone says, I want to tell you what your identity and purpose is. We actually find true fulfilment and life and peace and joy when we know God the Father. That's a huge statement. The Bible talks about God as creator and king, and he absolutely is creator and king. But Jesus almost exclusively called God Father. There was one time he didn't, and we'll talk about that in a while. Right, so he saw himself, and he was, as the Son of God, and he knew God as his Father. And we heard... If you read the Bibles in the Gospel, you hear a number of times of the richness of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. At his baptism the Father said to Jesus, This is my son in whom I love, with him sorry, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, or some translations will have, This is my son whom I love, with him I am delighted. Wow, can you hear that? At the transfiguration, God said exactly the same things. And I would say that this is a word that somewhere very deep in our psyche and in our heart, we long to hear from a father. You are mine. You are my dear son, my dear daughter. I love you. I am pleased with you. I delight in you. How about that? We long to hear those words, but do you know, words are just words. How about if we actually knew that was true? How about if we knew we are His? We are loved. We are delighted in. If we could actually know the truth of that. You know, some children work hard their whole lives to please their fathers. And they always hope to hear that word. And then maybe one day they do hear it and then they find it empty. Ultimately, you see, we need to hear these words from God the Father, who is both intimate and holy. Knowing the Father is our deepest need. Now Jesus lived as a pure son and his greatest pleasure was to know the Father. To do his will. To delight in him and to be delighted in him. In Ephesians 3 verse 14, Paul begins a prayer but as he leads up to the prayer, he says something like this. For, oh, no, he doesn't say it, something like, He says exactly this, Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Okay. Now, when it says from whom every family in heaven, that word family does mean family, but it kind of means familyhood or even fatherhood. It's the same word, right? He's saying that every family and every father and every Gets its name from God the Father. God is the fountain of fatherhood. He is the true Father. And actually, all other fatherhood is kind of a very dim, almost figurative look at him. He is the perfect father, and all fatherhood flows from him. Every family gets its familiness. From the Father. Does that make sense? And perfect familyhood comes from him. Every father gets their name from him. Just in the same way that you know we, it, it, well, in Australia we do. Uh, not all the time, but we have a surname that becomes the father's name, which becomes the children's name. Um, we have God's name. When he says, I'm yours, his name is written on us. So point one is this. We, our greatest need, actually, is to be loved and delighted in and know that we belong to the Father. It is deep. It's at the core of our very being. Okay. Point two is this. The problem of human fatherhood. I would say this. Some people will say, I had a a really, really, really good father. And some people will say, I had no father at all. That's the spectrum we're on. We could say, maybe you see the spectrum like this. But I would say the spectrum is like this. If you had a really, really good father, or you had a really terrible father, compared to God the father, right? these two are far closer to each other than God. Do you understand? His fatherhood is far and beyond anything. And so what happens is that human fatherhood, in a sense, muddies the water because all human fathers fall short. Now, at one time in Luke 11, uh, Jesus was talking about ask, seek, knock. And in, in verse 11, he says this, "'What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent?' Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Well, a pretty terrible father. He says then, if you then, he's talking about fathers, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay. That's pretty strong, isn't that? I'm just, just pointing out in passing, Jesus says, that all you fathers are evil. <laughs> okay. And still, even you, evil ones, some of you manage to take a bit of responsibility on board. You don't give your kids terrible stuff. Some of you do a bit of good. But how much greater is God than any human father? Can you see that? He gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll talk about that bit in a minute anyway. But if we were to talk to the average crowd of Christians and ask them again, I'd say this, what were their fathers like? Sometimes they would say angry, at, yep, angry, distant, abusive, violent, addicted to stuff, neglectful, abandoning. If we were to take the average fathers we had in this room and then say, get a, get a, get a kind of a, a description written down from them and then say, and that's what God's like, <laughs> it would be horrific, wouldn't it? That is not what God's like. But we know, I believe, in our hearts what characterises true fatherhood. Without even describing it, I think you know. You'd say love and care, wouldn't you? You'd say firmness and purity. You'd say present with us. Having time for us, always. Protecting and providing—you'd say that, wouldn't you? Bringing good to his children—we know that. You could—I think—you could make a, an endless description of what we know true fatherhood is like. So, how does human fatherhood reflect the God the Father? Well, some live out a few of the characteristics of God, but actually, they are not and by the way, cannot be perfect fathers as God. Now, when I say they cannot, I'm not making an excuse for bad or violent or whatever fatherhoods. There's no excuse for that. But what I'm saying is that even if a father managed to get it all right, he would fall short of God. How so? Okay. I actually did something I've never done before. Last night, I read Sigmund Freud, quotes on fatherhood. Why would you do that? Aren't you a Christian? Why do you listen to a psychologist? Because actually, this is my theory, and if I'm totally right, and I, I, no, no offence to any psychologist who may be listening or anywhere else, um, it's like doctors. Doctors can tell you stuff. They know stuff, don't they? And, and, and if you had the best doctor in the world who works on you for, say, 80 years, at the end of that, you die. Because doctors don't know everything, but they actually really—they're really quite good at describing problems sometimes, and helping you a bit along the way. Psychologists are really good at describing problems sometimes and helping you a bit along the way. So you understand, all right? So I'm going to do a couple of Freud quotes. So hopefully you can get that. And I actually found it quite interesting. and father, so just so you understand, he said something which I found intriguing. Although a mother is often well known. To the child, they're well known by her her presence. She's with the children. But he said that a father is known and characterised even if he's absent. (laughs) Do you get it? I know what he should be. Yeah? Even if you never knew your father, you still have an expectation of what he should be. Now, I lived with a father, um, I talk about my dad, and, and uh, I, I'm trying to explain this, how uh, short and yet good can be. Um, one thing I loved most as a child was when my father spent time with me. Whether it was playing games, or even working together, or just talking, it was something I longed for. Is that true? And those times were precious. Those times, my my dad actually was a farmer and he worked very, very hard. So he worked long days, and to be honest, those times were very rare. Um, And I could defend him by saying, you know what, hard work had to be done in those days. Money was short and all those things. That's true. But I also know, not to defend, not to belittle him, but belittle myself, that sometimes I, as a father, don't take up the role I should, and I put I deliberately put work or some other thing in the way to hide from what I know is my responsibility. True? But I know this. I longed for those precious times of being together. Those times of talking about life, about being taught. I, I wanted them deeply. But I also know this. If he just say he could have, every night spent three to four hours with me, talking and spending time together. There was other kids, but let's just say just me. You know, I had that that time. He would still have never been there when I got picked on at school. He wouldn't have been there at those times where I was tempted to sin. He couldn't actually be there at every moment, could he? In fact, miles away from being there every moment. He definitely couldn't have been there in my thoughts when I was working through stuff as an idiot, which is what I was and probably still am mostly. But you understand what I'm saying? That's why I would say this. God is far and above. My dad is far closer to the non-existent dad than anyone else. Do you understand in the way that that works? Um, he couldn't be with me at every moment, oh, by the way God can God the Father is always present to us every moment, you wake up in the night he's there Yep, you're going for hardships, he's there now my, I can say my dad wanted good for me and he worked as much as he could for that, but his definition of good wasn't perfect and um, and he's probably put things in the. He wasn't. He, you couldn't say of him he spent all his time working for my good. But we can't say that of God the Father. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Do you understand? He is always working for good. Um, I say this of my dad. He he made rules for the house to protect the household from evil. That's fair, isn't it? That's good. And I fell into all types of sin. Yeah? It came from my heart, actually. He couldn't, he couldn't actually deal with sin in my life, could he? But God the Father, through Jesus' his Son, has dealt with sin in our life. Can you see what I'm saying? What we need is a perfect Father. He can do all those things. Now... If he is the fountain of all fatherhood, only he can take the role of father. He is the one true father. The problem, again, with human fathers is not just that they haven't come right up to what they should. It's far more than that. They have actually every human father. Sorry to those who are here with their own kids. (laughs) Every human father has actually left their kids with a whole lot of baggage. Get used to it. That's how it goes. Okay? In various forms, it's always there. Okay? If you had the, the selfish... We, we talk to people sometimes they have a, a selfish, narcissistic father. And, you know, that actually causes very deep things in their psyche in that They find it very hard because, you see, they could never submit to their father because he was not trustworthy. And then they find it hard to submit to anybody else. To trust. They rebel by nature. Because they had to survive by rebelling against the one that they should have been able to entrust themselves to. And that becomes a very deep other people had a father who was hard and distant and so they looked for intimacy in all sorts of places, immorality or addictions. You understand? To try and fill a hole and those things just don't fill it. Then you got the perfectionist one. You know the perfectionist dad? Uh, lives out his dreams through his children. Yeah. Drives them. And they spend their whole life trying to please him, but they never get there. Sigmund Freud, I think it was a bit like that, he said, he's very well known, isn't he? He was always concerned he'd never arrived professionally. He'd never got there, arrived was in quotation marks. And he never lived up to his father's expectations. Kind of length, aren't they? Can you see that? Because when you f- fail to live up to those expectations, which you believe will get you there, there's huge issues. There's anger, insecurities, and often you either work your butt off trying to get there, or you just give up and get addicted to whatever will hide the pain. And then there's non-existent fathers, cause people to have all sorts of questions about worth and purpose and meaning. You see. What I'm saying is this, sorry, that's just four examples and they, are, they, are, they summarise about half the human race, by the way, in various ways and, and the other half have got a whole lot of other sets of baggage. But what I want to see is this. The baggage we carry is why Jesus said harshly, you, though you are evil. Do you get that? You all fall short. And what that causes is a human race, which is generally mixed up, Stuck in sin, deeply troubled, and never quite realizing the root or the bottom of what their plight is. And so searching for fulfilment here and there in every sinful way of habit and habit, but never getting there. And by the way, we are not just victims by the way. our sin is real sin too. We're part of this. You can't blame yourself. Uh, Sorry, live your life blaming on your circumstances. Some people do that. Oh, if my my dad wasn't like he was, I'd be alright. No, he wouldn't. He'd be a sinner, just the same as everybody else. You see, but what I am saying is that the baggage of human fatherhood causes us all to be enslaved. Okay, sorry, that's very deep. Uh, And I don't want you to hide from that. If you're going to need to spend some time thinking this through. Because the next point is what you need to hear. Jesus restores us to the Father. Okay, All that pain is where you were let go from the little bit down there. And he restores us to up there. Can you see what I'm saying? He restores us to what we really need. We need to be restored to the Father. And this is not simply a realisation. We don't need to realise, you need some more knowledge, people. Get educated and you'll know God's your Father. That doesn't make it all better. You need more than knowledge. You need to hear God delights in you through Christ. You need to hear it and actually believe it because it's made known to you. God is the intimate, loving Father. But I just want to add this. He is the Holy Father. Perfect in all his ways. His house rules stand forever. And they actually stand against us. His holiness demands all his children be sinless. As he is. The Bible says, Be holy as your Father is holy. Or in, in Matthew's Gospel, it says, Be perfect as your Father is perfect. And this Father, now I've used the word Abba, that's what Jesus called um, Father. An, an intimate name, still a name that throughout the Middle East uh, is, is, is called Father. They still use the word Abba in some places, it's called Baba, something like that. And actually, it's like, the, it's a name given, if you can imagine a two-year-old running to his father's arms or her father's arms for security and the father picks him up and says, Abba, it's that sort of name. And that's caused some people to say, well, it means daddy. like, yeah, but he's also the holy God. Yes, he is intimate and loving and protecting, but he is holy and perfect. He is severe in his judgments. He is wrathful against sin. This is our Father. Now, if that sounds frightening, it's not. Because what you've got to see is, when did Jesus call Abba Father? In the Garden of Gethsemane. And he ran to God as a child. But he also knew that the Father had a will. And what was that will? To go to the cross. To deal with the sins of the world. And he stuck to his father's will. It was a holy will. You see this same father. Who is holy and intimate. Had a plan for our salvation. And he's the one who brought it. It was the father's plan. To send the son. His perfect son. Who lived in perfect holiness. And he bore our sins. He bore our failings. Now. Now. He bore our brokenness. I don't know. We hear the word brokenness sometimes, and, and brokenness is sort of like sometimes you can think that's what I'm a victim to, and there's a truth to that. I've said we're a victim to the baggage of what's gone before. We are also sinners of our own and our own right, and both of these are huge problems. And Jesus bore both of those on the cross. And as He was bore, bearing, boring, bearing your sin and my sin, he shouted out something. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just before he said, Father, forgive me. Just after he says, Father, into your hands I commit my sin. The one time in scripture where he doesn't say Father. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in his body... He was bearing right then the fullness of separation with God. Forsakenness, abandonment, loneliness, and he did that in our place. Okay? He actually experienced, if we say, I feel abandoned by God, or I feel like God is distant, he he, times that by a million and he experienced that. Do you understand? He experienced in his body as a man the full forsakenness of God so that we could know the Father. So that we could be restored to the holy, intimate love of the Father. So that we could know we will never be forsaken by the Father. That through Jesus... Through faith in him, when we trust in Jesus, he forgives all our sins and he restores us so that we can cry out this word, which is more precious than anything else. We can say, Father. Can you hear that? That's what he's restored us to. He hasn't restored us to a human thing. He hasn't restored us to some replacement where we find something else that we think will be our father and will help us. We repent from all that and we trust in Jesus and we are restored to the Father and then we can hear and know you are mine. I love you. I delight in you. And in the power of the Holy Spirit we can actually know that it's true. We can have true life because we're told actually you see Christ comes, forgives all our sins, makes us holy so we can receive the Holy Spirit. And then we're told in Romans 8 or Galatians 4, we cry out through the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. That's so good, isn't it? I go back to poor old Freud. In the end, his belief ends up without hope. Because he says, I've read this, it's a bit long, but anyway. The psychoanalysis of individual human beings, however, teaches us with quite special insistence that the God of each of them is formed in the likeness of his Father. That his personal relation to God depends on his relation to his Father in the flesh and oscillates and changes along with that relation. And that at the bottom, God is nothing other than an exalted Father. He leaves you at this place where, you know all that baggage and all that sin? You're stuck with that. You're going to be under that forever. But do you know what? That's not where God leaves us. He sets us free. Don't ever, you see, that view of Freud is also the view of the devil, which says in your heart, it's never going to get any better for you. You're stuck where you are. And God says, no, I have a complete restoration and a complete healing through the cross of my son. And it's been my plan ever since the beginning. You hear that? And when we know that, we have rest. Now rest, I'm not talking about rest as in you're going to have a kip this afternoon. I'm talking about rest for your soul. In the Father's arms. A safe place. Now, I'm going to read you a passage you know well, and then I'm going to tell you what went before it. You know this passage. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labour, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew 11, verse 28. Don't we long for that true rest in our souls? Don't we long for that? What meant immediately before it, in other words, what I'm saying is, what is it, what is this rest that Jesus gives us? That's the big question. What does this rest look like? And this is what he said in verse 25. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That's good. Dumb people like us can get this as well. And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Can you see that one? Only the Son knows the Father fully, and those... Who the Son chooses to reveal. And if you've put your faith in Christ, that's you, by the way. What has he revealed to you? The Father. And then He says, Come to me, you who labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. Where does that rest come? When you know God as your Father, you have rest. Rest for your souls. Jesus has taken a sin and a brokenness, and then he shows us the Father. And this rest is good, and it's free. And our wandering and restless hearts can have a rest and find it in him, once and for all. At the start of these readings that you're going to get, I just quote only the name of a book by a Muslim lady, who I can't say her name, it's Bilquis Sheik. She was a Muslim, and her book is called, I Dared to Call Him Father. Because there's none of that in the Muslim faith. I dare to call God Father. I want to encourage you, as you're reading, as you're praying, in the weeks to come, call God Father. And you know what? If that's as long as your prayer is, that's okay. Because in Him you will find your rest. I'm going to pray. Father, I've just spoken many words But what we really want is for you to make them real to each of us. We have restless, wandering hearts. And even as Christians, we've looked here and there for life. But we don't need that. We need you. And so I pray, Father, that you would do your wonderful work of revealing who you are in your fatherhood. I pray that you would reveal to us full forgiveness in Christ that's restored us to you. And Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit on us again. That we would receive and know your Father. Deep in our hearts, deep in our minds, deep in our beings that we might find all of our rest in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.